Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed, and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. This week, we have an amazing message from Kieran and Larry, and it is on the days of Noah, the seven trumpets. Good morning, church. Good morning. How's everybody doing today? I, it doesn't sound very good. <laughs> I'm breathing. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. <laughs> You know, when we go through the worship, <clears throat> I'm not sure how many of you, you know, feel that um, you've come here and you, you know, you've, you've just kind of forced yourself to get out of bed and, and nothing looks that exciting and, and uh, you make it here and, and you're just hoping for something good to just kind of pick you up and, and give you enough to get going for the week again. Is, does that relate, relate to anybody? I see, I think, one or two hands. There's two hands right there. That's you. <laughs> Anyways, um, you know, as, um, as I was going through the worship this morning, um, there were specific phrases in the songs that just jumped out at me. And, um, and, I, and I just, as an introduction for the message today, I just kind of want to go through a few of them. You moved the mountains, right? He moved the mountains. He can do it again. You made a way where there was no way. I believe I'll see you do it again. You know, what is that mountain for you this morning that seems to be keeping you from claiming the promises that God has in your life? What is that mountain? Um, we're going to be talking about trumpet judgments of God towards the earth. And as we go through these judgments, it, I hope that it becomes plain and clear the power of our mighty God. And um, obviously, as we go through the book of Revelation, there's a lot of dispute and, and debate about, you know, what it's really trying to say. But there's one theme that threads through um, the message today that, you know, we'll highlight it as we get to the end. Um, but honestly, as we, as we look through each and every one of these trumpet judgments, uh, I, want, I want to make sure that we have an understanding that we're going to be approaching these judgments as in a literal sense, not an allegorical sense. We're not, we're not going to present to you that, you know, this trumpet represents this and that trumpet rep represents this other thing, but more of a reality that we want to take a look at these trumpet judgments in the most literal understanding possible and, and just go through it that way and, and explain why, you know. Um, but I think before we get into the introduction even, <laughs> sorry, Kieran, before we get into the introduction, you know, I wanna, I wanna clarify as well, in Jewish culture, trumpets were very important. And it was so fitting that we had the trumpet salute here this morning in light of the fact that we're going to be talking about the seven trumpets of Revelation here. 
And um, <clears throat> in Jewish culture, amongst many other things, there's two primary purposes for the trumpet call. The first is a call to assembly. And the second is a call to war or to arm. And, and honestly, when I, when I read through, and as Karen and I had dialogue and preparation, one of the things that we saw over and over and over again is there is a call to, for humanity who's still left on the earth to arm themselves and prepare for the judgment of God. And so um, what we're going to do is I want to start and uh, kind of where we left off last Sunday. Um, we, there's a portion of scripture that it's nudged in between the sixth seal and the seventh seal, which really kind of sets the stage for what we want to talk about today. So you want to yeah. go for it? We got a couple scriptures, yeah, uh, on that too. And, and just before that, I, I just wanted to, a little disclaimer, if you, if you are taking notes, um, get your pens ready, or uh, if you're taking them on your phone, because we, we have a lot of scripture um, and we'd love to read through all of it start to finish, but we may at some points just reference a scripture that we say, hey, go home and take a look at this for yourself and study it as it relates to what we're saying. Um, so we may just give you a little passage, so be ready for those. But um, we're gonna start Revelation 6, 15 to 17. Then everyone, the kings of the earth, the rulers, the generals, the wealthy, the powerful, and every slave and free person all hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they cried to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who is able to survive? The second one is Isaiah chapter 2, 10 to 12. Enter into the rock and hide in the dust from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty. The haughty looks of man shall be brought low and the lofty pride of men shall be humbled. And the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. For the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, and it shall be brought low. In Isaiah 2, 19 to 21, the people shall enter the caves of the rocks and the holes of the ground from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty when he rises to terrify the earth. In that day, mankind will cast away their idols of silver and their idols of gold, which they made for themselves to worship to the moles and to the bats, to enter the caverns of the rocks and the clefts of the cliffs from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty when he rises to terrify the earth. And the last one is Zephaniah 1, 14 to 17. That terrible day of the Lord is near. Swiftly it comes, a day of bitter tears, a day when even strong men will cry out. It will be a day when the Lord's anger is poured out, a day of terrible distress and anguish, a day of ruin and desolation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, a day of trumpet calls and battle cries. Down go the walled cities and the strongest battlements because you have sinned against the Lord. I will make you grope around like the blind. Your blood will be poured into the dust and your bodies will lie rotting on the ground and some other ones that you will want to look back and, and reference is um, Joel 2, 10 to 12, and 19 to 21, and Luke chapter 21, verses 25 to 26. They all kind of talk about the same thing, but from different perspectives. But Kieran, when, you, when we go through these scriptures, um, what, is, 
What is it messaging to you specifically? You know, it's, it's, it's really showing um, the wrath of God being poured out on humanity. And it's, and it's God looking at his creation and looking at what man has rejected him and bringing down the prideful and haughty characteristics of man. So that's kind of the goal of this, this period within the seven, seven trumpets um, is bringing down the prideful, yeah. reducing it to, to nothing. It's God showing himself what, what he's capable of here too. You know, along with that, I find this messaging um, where the wrath of God is not against humanity per se because of humanity's sake, because they are God's creation, but it, it's against the sin of humanity. And um, he says in, in uh, verse 17 of Zephaniah 1, because you have sinned against the Lord. And here's that messaging that's different from the sealed judgments. And where um, in the sealed judgments, it's a call to come back to the Lord for the preparation of that pure and spotless bride. But here the messaging is different. It's like you have been given a chance, but because you have failed to acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord, and you have continued to walk in your ways of sin, because of your pride, you will be brought low. You will be humbled. And, and so um, there is, we find a, a distinction, a, an obvious distinction between the messaging, between the sealed judgments, which we talked about last week, and the trumpet judgments this week. And um, as we go through each and every one of these judgments, um, one of the things that we want to make make sure that is very clear, which I mentioned already, is we're going to be looking at it as much as possible in a literal sense. In scripture, it often uses the word like or as. And so wherever there's that phrase, like or as, we know that it's comparing something because it doesn't, you know, the imagery that John is seeing or, you know, uh, the writer, he can't describe it in the right words. So he'll say like. Um, so help us understand as best we can. As best we can, exactly. And um, so you want to start with number one? Let's do it. All right. Jump in. All right. Trumpet number one. There's seven. Revelations 8, uh, verse 7. The first angel blew his trumpet, and hail and fire mixed with blood were thrown down on the earth. One third of the earth was set on fire, one third of the trees were burned, and all the green grass was burned. And so as we go through these two, um, we're going to be drawing a little bit of a parallel to some events that happened in the Old Testament in Exodus when we see um, God coming through for the Israelites and sending some supernatural things on the Egyptians as they, as on Egypt as they kept Israel in captive. So here we see, um, and they're actually going to pull up a, uh, a diagram of some uh, current fires around the world. But we see that in this chapter, it talks about a lot of fire. Um, affecting all the trees, the plants, and, and everything of that sort. And, and we kind of drew the parallel to uh, Egypt. When uh, in Exodus 9, 23, 24, uh, Moses stretched out his staff, and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire ran down on the earth. And so we, we kind of bring that up to show that there, you know, this, this is capability of God. And he, even though it might seem far-fetched for right now, because we don't see that too often, I, I don't know if I've seen it, <laughs> but- um, Hail and fire mixed together? Yeah, but you know, we've seen it before in Exodus and God, you know, he, he, he has that power and you know, potentially supernaturally. 
um, we see it happen again. But they, they are actually pulling up a, um, a little map for us. And uh, we see in this map that um, it, it shows where the fire is, where you know, our world is affected by fire right now, forest fires, because it's a very real thing. Um, and it's going to show over time, through the months and through the years leading up till now, how the changes um, in the amount of fire, you know, uh, comes up. So we see it kind of moves forward a bit and then we lose a little bit, but then we get more and more, right? But there's something distinctly different about these fires that you see on this map. I mean, throughout the course of history, there's been fire. And even, and I think if I'm not mistaken, I think it goes right until June of, tw- of this year. And um, it's not like we necessarily see an escalation of the amount of fire, um, but it's, it's always hitting different parts of the world. Yeah. It's a very real thing. But you know, the interesting thing is, and, and similar to what like, Kieran was talking about, the judgment that came upon Egypt, um, where it was very intentional and there was fire and hail mixed together, even in the, in the first plague. Um, I don't know, has anybody seen fire and hail mixed together? Um, I don't know, I, I know I haven't, but this is the judgment that's coming down, and, um, but it's not like this is um, something that we should be surprised about. Even Peter talks about this. And in 2 Peter chapter three, um, for your own sake, you're gonna wanna go through from five to seven, and you know, specifically, but in that passage, he's talking about how you know, in the days of gone by with the flood, the flood came upon the earth to destroy the sin of the world because it, sin had, was rampant. And in fact, only uh, Noah was the one left righteous. And so because of that righteousness, God saved Noah and his family to continue off a fresh start. But he says in verse seven of Second Peter chapter three, He says, and by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They are being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. And so again, we have this messaging of the reason for this judgment. It's against the ungodliness in the world. And uh, 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 9 says it in a different way. He says, they will be punished with eternal destruction, forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. Ooh. Can I just say something on that? Absolutely, go for it. I believe that the worst, the worst thing we could experience is eternal separation from God. And like we look at, you know, the the trumpet judgments and the the fire and, you know, the things that we're going to be going through and it, it pales in comparison to not being able to spend eternity with our loving creator. So true. And so that, that, I mean, we'll tie it in with uh, kind of uh, our, you know, towards the end when we talk about what it really means to, to fear the Lord, but go on to the second trumpet. Go for it. All right. Uh, chapter, or yeah, chapter eight, verse eight and nine. Then the second angel blew his trumpet and a great mountain of fire was thrown into the sea. One third of the water in the sea became blood. One third of all living things in the sea died. And one third of all the ships on the sea were destroyed. Pastor Larry, how, how could that happen? How? Well, you know, it, it shouldn't be, again, it shouldn't be surprising. We have an example of this. Um, the, um, which plague? The second plague of Egypt was water turning to blood. 
How did it happen? Moses struck the water with his staff and the water was turned to blood through all of Egypt. Um, So last week, we showed the one slide of, of all the earthquakes around the world currently. Remember that slide? So I, we're not gonna show that slide again for the sake of time, but I want, if you can pull up that, the second slide about the uh, La Palma Island. And I'm not sure, this is an island in the Atlantic Ocean just off the shores of Africa. And um, interestingly, um, this island currently has the most of any, in a concentrated area, has the most activity of earthquakes currently. And this, what, it's, what you're seeing there is the southern part of the island. And these are all the earthquakes of all the magnitudes that have happened within the last seven days. And so, I mean, that's a lot of earthquakes, or maybe that is. <laughs> Anyways, but it's a lot. But so I want you to bring it back down to a magnitude three. All the earthquakes magnitude three or higher. And then from that one, and that, that's pretty staggering in and of itself. So bring it down to the last eight hours. And so it's quite a bit less, but even still, these are earthquakes magnitude three or higher within the last eight hours on this island. And if it was just earthquakes, that would be one thing. But you know what else is going on on that island? They have have a volcano that's right in the middle of all those little red dots, a volcano that's been erupting since September 19th. And And the fear is that at some point in time, if this continues, that a huge portion of that mountain could actually break off and fall into the ocean. I'm probably going to stay away from that island. I don't know about you. I, you know what? I, I, but here's the thing, though, Kieran. You know, I, yeah, you might want to stay away from there. But, I, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Maybe that island is the safest place to it's be. possible. Because what happens when a huge portion of mountain falls into the ocean? Tsunami. Right? And if you can put that tsunami slide up, um, the potential impact and... Um, Basically, what they're saying is that within eight hours, the entire eastern coastlines of the Americas would be hit by a wall of water between 30 and 50 meters high. That's between 90 and 150 feet, approximately. Can you imagine the impact of that? So, you know, just, and this just helps to bring things into perspective, but I'm not saying that this is that mountain that the Bible's talking about. Perhaps it's an asteroid that comes and and hits the water somewhere, but what's gonna happen is as that happens, those waters, a third of the waters are gonna be turned to blood, killing all the life, life within the waters, but that the effect as well is that tsunami, I can imagine, that's gonna destroy a third of all the ships. Yeah, we say all that to say that there are, there are instances like this on our planet right now that, you know, could very well be what we're talking about here in Revelation. Jumping number three. Sure, let's go to number three. Verse 10 and 11, the third angel blew his trumpet and a great star fell from heaven blazing like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood 
And many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. And uh, there's a couple other verses I'll have you guys write down to uh, take a look for yourself later. I will read Lamentations 3, 15 and 19 um, because it kind of describes a little bit of what this wormwood means. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me or filled me with wormwood. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. So wormwood we see here uh, represents a bitterness. So when they mention wormwood throughout the Old Testament, they're referring to a plant that's commonly found in the desert regions of the Middle East, um, and it's very, very bitter. Um, so Jeremiah 23, 15 also references this, as well as Amos 5, 7. That's Jeremiah 23, 15 and Amos 5, 7. Well, something that's interesting that um, we wanted to kind of bring your attention to as well is there's another reference of uh, wormwood in Exodus. And so the Israelites are in the desert, and um, they, they, they come across um, an oasis, and it's called Mara, uh, but the water was too bitter to drink. So what Moses did was Moses took uh, a piece of wood and he, he threw it into the water. And what it did was it turned this water from bitter to pure. And so now in contrast, we come to Revelations and we see that instead of turning something that's bitter to pure, we see something that's cast down called wormwood and it turns the water from being pure and drinkable to bitterness and which Revelation says that uh, many people died because of this bitterness. Yep. And so we kind of draw the comparison here to uh, the coming of Jesus both times. We see Jesus when he first came, he came in as, as a lamb and he came in to take our sins which are bitter and he came to purify them and, and give us an opportunity to, uh, for an eternal life that is pure and it's eternal. But when we see him in Revelations, um, he, he embodies a little bit of a different character where he comes back not as a lamb who's coming to purify our sins, but he comes back as a lion. And even we have that lion statue up front with the caption that reads, he comes as the lion of the tribe of Judah. And so when he comes back the second time, it's not to take, you know, to purify our sins because it, the Bible says at this point, everybody is unrepentant. The, the, the second chances are, are, are gone. So he comes back as the lion of the tribe of Judah to take what prideful humanity thinks is pure and he comes to strike it as bitter. Yeah, that's good. That's, that's really good. So the next trumpet is the fourth trumpet. And uh, starting at verse 12 of the same chapter, chapter eight, then the fourth angel blew his trumpet. One third of the sun was struck, one third of the moon and one third of the stars and they became dark. And one-third of the day was dark, and also one-third of the night. You know, it seems strange to us, you know, um, how is it possible to actually, you know, that the day could be made dark, just like that? And, I mean, we come up with all these solutions, maybe because of volcanic ash being thrown up, or maybe because of all the fires, you know? But here's the reality. Whenever you have things like that, it, it, it becomes darker, but it isn't necessarily like dark, dark. But we see some examples of this in scripture. For example, in the, um, the ninth plague of Egypt, um, when Moses struck, or, you know, based on the command of God, the judgment was darkness over all the land of Egypt. 
and it was darkness for three days. And the Bible describes that darkness as being so dark that the people couldn't go and do anything. They just stayed where they were. That's how dark it was. And so we get this image in the last days when for one third of the day and for one third of the night, it's dark. It is dark. And like the purpose for Egypt was to make the Egyptians and particularly the king of Egypt, make him aware of the power of the mighty God of Israel, I believe in the same way in the end is to wake up people's attention to the power and might of a living God. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth. And he has power and authority to create light and he has the power and authority to stop light from happening. And you know what's cool about that passage? In Exodus, when it talks about Egypt being covered in darkness, it was completely pitch black except uh, for the Israelites, God's chosen people. They still got to experience the light. Absolutely. Amen. You want to go to the fifth one? Yeah. Then the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star had fallen to the earth from the sky, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. When he opened it, smoke poured out as though from a huge furnace, and the sunlight and air turned dark from the smoke. The locusts came from the smoke and descended on the earth, and they were given power to sting like scorpions. They were told not to harm the grass or plants or trees, but only the people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were told not to kill them, but to torture them for five months with pain like the pain of a scorpion sting. In those days, people will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. The locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. They had what looked like gold crowns on their heads and their faces looked like human faces, looked like human faces, and the hair like women's hair and teeth like the teeth of a lion. They wore armor made of iron and their wings roared like an army of chariots rushing into battle. They had tails that stung like scorpions, and for five months they had the power to torment people. Their king is the angel from the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek, Apollyon, the destroyer. Has anyone been stung by a scorpion? No? Oh, that's good. First service, nobody either. No, I'm any around here, so we don't really know. But, you know, it's interesting that they said that this, um, as they described these creatures, um, they use a lot of what you were saying, the like or as. They had hair like women's hair, right? They were, um, they had faces like human Like human faces. faces. So what could, what, what could that be? <laughs> a frightful, right. scary creature. <laughs> you know, yeah, I have seen so many different explanations as to some kind of a military armament that, you know, perhaps like a helicopter because it talks about um, at some point in here, the, um, the armor. Oh, no, before that, the, uh, where is it? About there, it sounds like, uh, oh. Oh, their wings roared. Yes. The army of chariots rushing. There you go. A anyways, you know, I've, I've often seen or read commentaries that this is describing some kind of a, a man-made military unit. But can I ask you a question? If you've got this stealth-like helicopter kind of a thing that's described here, how does it inflict without killing? Have you ever thought about that? 
Honestly, I really do believe that this is a God-created terror. And I mean, how many of you have seen um, Chronicles of Narnia? Yeah? You know, some pretty interesting creatures in that creation as well. Images of, of different animals and whatnot. Is it too much for God to have created some form of a locust? A locust that isn't hungry for grass and green things like in the plague of Egypt when the locusts swarmed the entire land of Egypt? Is it possible that God could do that? And, and so I really do believe that's exactly the reality of this, except instead of eating green things, it's to torment humanity for five months. This is the only trumpet judgment that, that has a time frame associated with it. Five months. I think if I were to be alive and experience that, I mean, I've never been stung by a scorpion. I've been, I've been bit from head to toe by, by army ants. Um, that's not pleasant. No. And I had to go to the hospital because <laughs> um, of infection and everything because I was bleeding from head to toe. But anyways, that was terrible. But what they're describing here is a torment on humanity so severe that they were seeking death, but they could not find it. Thankfully, the sixth trumpet's not army ants. Something a little bit different. We'll see. The sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice speaking from the four horns of the gold altar that stands in the presence of God. And the voice said to the sixth angel who held the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great Euphrates River. Then the four angels who had been prepared for this hour and day and month and year were turned loose to kill one third of the people on earth. I heard the size of their army, it was 200 million mounted troops. And in my vision, I saw the horses and the riders sitting on them. The riders wore armor that was fiery red and dark blue and yellow. The horses had heads like lions and fire and smoke and burning sulfur billowed from their mouths. One third of all the people on earth were killed by these three plagues, by the fire and smoke and burning sulfur that came from the mouths of the horses. Their power was in their mouths and in their tails for their tails had heads like snakes with the power to injure people. And so the first couple of trumpets, I forgot to mention, um, had a lot to do with God's creation. We see the trees, the sea life, um, and all that. And then even on the fourth day, on the fourth day of creation, God created the sun and the moon and the stars. And on the fourth day, of, on the fourth trumpet blast, those go dark. But now we've entered what they've called the woes. So the fifth trumpet was the first woe, the sixth trumpet, the second woe. Um, and we see you know, something a little bit different where there's actually um, this plan to kill a third of the people on earth. Before this, it was just collateral damage. There's, you know, there was the uh, um, stuff that happened and people, you know, happened to die from, but this army had been prepared for this purpose to be who sent out. Who leads this army? And who leads this army? Uh, the angels that were bound at the, uh, at the Euphrates River. So some theologians, you know, as you go through and, and do some research, believe it could be a human army. Um, you know, China. Yeah, exactly. Um, but what, what I kind of see here is, you know, afterwards, when we take a look at it, it says the people are unrepentant and they're, they're angry with God still. But I, I, I mean, personally, you know, could it be a human army? Um, yeah, I guess it could be. But um, just what I've seen is um, if, if a human army came against, you know, one third of the earth, the remaining people would be pretty mad at that army against, you know, the commander of that army. Um, 
And so these people who are still angry with God, it, it kind of just makes sense to me in my head that it would be, um, you know, the angels. So uh, one of the verses that we, we kind of referenced, we didn't ask, we didn't read it, but in Joel chapter two, there's a section of scripture in there that actually talks about the Lord of heaven's armies. And it's interesting because that phrase, the Lord of heaven's armies, is actually referenced 249 times in scripture. And of those 249 times, it, you know, at some times it's referencing human armies, but there are times where it actually references angelic armies. And so it's very clear and very evident that perhaps like the 10th plague of Egypt, where the Lord sent his angels to go to Egypt to visit every household all at the same time, that's got to be a pretty large army to visit every household at the same moment of time to destroy the firstborn of every house that did not have the blood of Jesus Christ, or the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, right? That's got to be a large army. But here it's telling us the size of the army, 200 million that go forth to destroy one third of humanity around the earth. Now, if it was a physical army moving across the earth, of course, the destruction or the death would be allocated to the path in which they're going. And that's another reason why we like to suggest that perhaps this is a angelic or uh, a spiritual army that is against humanity for the sins of the earth. Um, and interestingly enough as well, um, what is the result of all this? What is the human response to all of these trumpets? In verse, tw- in verse 20 and 21 of chapter 9, it says, The rest of mankind who were not killed from these plagues still did not repent from the works of their hands nor give up worshiping demons, idols of gold, silver, bronze, and stone. There was no repentance. None. Try to imagine what happens when the Lord shows up and reveals himself and his power and might. My heart quakes and it's like forgive me for i have sinned but notice there is no repentance none instead they are turned they are angry against the one who sent these this army to destroy that's right and the last trumpet the seventh trumpet the final one revelations eleven fifteen to 19 The seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Messiah and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who were seated on the thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and your people who revere your name, both great and small, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and within his temple was seen the Ark of the Covenant. And there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and hailstorm. Wow. Sounds like the grand finale. Woo-hoo. Where we see heaven opened, right? The Ark of God's Covenant sitting there in this... Um, kind of leads into what they'll be talking about next week about the the bowls of wrath being poured out. But 
This seventh trumpet really announces the coming establishment of God's eternal kingdom here on earth. Yeah, it does. Um, you know, it, along with that as well, uh, just for reference for those who are really um, eschatological students, those who really get into the study of end times, um, the trumpet judgments seem to be a judgment against humanity for rejection of Jesus Christ as the Son of God and the Savior of humanity. The bowl judgments, on the other hand, is something different. They've got two purposes. One is the reclaiming of Israel as the people of God when they actually see and experience Jesus Christ coming back. Um, and uh, the interesting thing is in the uh, crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, what happened at the resurrection is the veil is torn in two, right? And which opened the door for access to the throne of God with confidence. But now we see another image where the temple in heaven is opened and the Ark of the Covenant is revealed. You have to understand that up until this point, the Israelites, the Jewish, the true Jewish people still are waiting for their Savior, their Messiah to come. And I think as a result of all these judgments, if I'm to understand scripture correctly, there is a change of heart and there is a repentance that takes place. And as they see all these things taking place in the heavenlies and on earth, and Jesus Christ descends on the Mount of Olives, there's rejoicing. And the bold judgments, as we're gonna talk about, introduce a new kind of wrath with a different purpose. And I'm, I'm gonna save it for then. But as just to kind of bring it all together, Kieran, um, how do you summarize what we've all gone through with these trumpet judgments? You know, from the, from the time that John received this revelation um, to the time that these trumpets sound, it serves as a, a warning, a call, saying that, you know, our, our hearts have to be fully surrendered to God. We need to know what it means to fear the Lord. Yeah. And so I, I've got a couple of scriptures to read for you guys. Um, in Proverbs 14, 27, it says, fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is a life-giving fountain. It offers escape from the snares of death. Yeah. In Matthew 10, 28, it says, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They can't touch your soul. That belongs to God. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And then in 2 Corinthians 7, 1, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of the Lord. And, and so as we've kind of gone through these, um, we see that the, you know, the, the trumpets, they, they warn us um, what, what the importance is of fearing the Lord. Because Pastor Larry asked me earlier, Kieran, what, what does it mean to fear, to fear God? Um, and the way I've kind of seen it is, you know, one day he's going to say to each and every one of us, either well done or depart from me. And I definitely want to hear well done. And so fear of the Lord, I mean, we see God has the capability, you know, throughout all of this, throughout all of history to decide where we get to spend eternity. But we decide how we spend our life here on earth. 
we, we, we get to decide, you know, each and every day, the ins and outs of, of what we do to serve God. Do we serve him? Do we not? What, what do we want to hear on that day that we stand before him? Do we want to hear well done or do we want to hear depart from me? And so um, I would like if everybody could join us standing because Pastor Larry and I both felt it on our hearts today um, that we, we couldn't talk about the fear of the Lord and we couldn't talk about what it means to be saved by Jesus Christ without you know, saying, if that's something that the Lord's been tugging on your heart, if it's something that you know, has been eating away at you or maybe today was the first time you heard it and you wanna know more and you really want to get right with God and you wanna um, just experience his grace and, and a life with him, we would really, really encourage you to come down to the front because we have some leaders that are willing to um, and very, very happy to pray with you and spend some time talking to you about what that means. And so I, I can't help but think, Pastor Larry, of the ministry of John the Baptist. When he, people called him crazy because he wore um, camel skins and he ate locusts and honey and he slept in the sand. And they, they called him crazy because he dedicated every moment, every waking moment of his life to prepare the way, prepare the way for the Lord. And he called people to repent and to be baptized and to, you know, proclaim the name of God to the nations and to the people around them. And, and I can't help but think that as Christians, as, as ones that truly love God, we, we approach it with the same sense of urgency to speak to our coworkers and our classmates and our, our families and our community about the goodness of God. To be about the Lord's business. About the Lord's business. He says, go into all the nations, prepare the way. Yeah. baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we would really encourage you right now, if you're in your seats, um, to come on down if you really, really, really want to get to know him a little bit better. And if, if this spoke to you, we do have, we've got Mitch, Steve, Derek, a couple others come on down. And even as we do go into communion, we would still encourage you not to hesitate. Um, it's not too late to do it at all. Come on down, please. You know, and when we're going through all these scriptures that are talking about you know, the, the wrath of God. These prophets make it crystal clear of what the purpose is. And, and I just want to read through one of them. Joel chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, it says, That is why the Lord says, Turn to me now, not later. Today's the day. Turn to me now while there is time. Give me your hearts. He's looking for total surrender. If you can't stand here this morning and say, I surrender all, all to Jesus, I surrender. If you can't say that, then you need to be coming up here. Then this message is for you. Come with fasting, with weeping and mourning. Don't tear your clothing in your, in your grief, but tear your hearts open for me. Return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He is eager to relent and not to punish. 2 Peter 3 verses 9 to 16, you might want to read through all of that, but I just want to reference just one part of verse 15. It says, and remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. Do you hear the message of our Heavenly Father? It's a message of salvation. His heart is for salvation. Do we have the heart of a loving Father? 
Do we have that heart? Or do we just go about our own business? When we go to work, do we go to do about, we do our work business? When we go to the, to the market or to the grocery stores, do we just go and do our business there? What's the heart of our Father to win souls for Jesus Christ? And so I beseech you, church, Windsor Christian Fellowship, don't just go to church. Be the church. Be the voice, the heart, the hands, the feet of Jesus Christ who sacrificed it all that one might be saved. Let's partake in communion together. Jesus Christ, he died on the cross. He allowed his body to be broken so that we could experience wholeness. Some of you may have come here this morning, you're feeling broken. You're feeling empty. Jesus Christ died and allowed his body to be bruised and broken so that we could experience wholeness in him. It's only in Jesus. Now I'm gonna pause there for a moment because there's a stirring in my heart. There's somebody who's wrestling right now with, the salvation, with this salvation message. God's tugging at your heart. I feel it in my spirit. God's saying, don't, don't hold back. Today's the day. Now's the time. Pride will keep you in your seat. There's still time. You can still come up. Heavenly Father, we just praise you and we thank you for your love. You are a loving Father. And Lord, as we go through a message like today, it, it can be kind of scary and, and, and frightening. And Lord, some of us in our minds, we may just push it off and say, well, you know, that's for a future time. But Lord, I hope that, that by your spirit, Father God, you reveal in our spirit and in our hearts the proximity. Lord, it could be soon. It could be soon. Stir in our hearts, Father God, that we don't put off making the right choices now so that we don't get caught as five foolish virgins in that message several weeks back, Father God. People who have an understanding of who Jesus Christ is, but we're, we're great fans of him, but we're not followers. Father God, I just pray that you would forgive us for the stubbornness of our hearts. Forgive us for the apathy, Father God. Stir within us, Lord, a fresh fire, an awakening fire, Lord, that just we have the heart and passion of our Father in heaven who cares for the lost souls that are around us. And he's calling us to go and be the church. As we partake of this, may we be reminded of everything that Jesus did and follow him, Father God. In Jesus' name, let's partake together. Lord, we uh, stand here with this cup in our hands because a long time ago, you performed the greatest act of love we've, this world's ever seen. 
And God, I know that if it was for just one person, even just one person, you would have done it still. Yep. Because God, the amount of love that you have is something we can't even understand. And so Lord, we thank you so much that you were willing to go to that cross and let your blood pour out so that we could spend eternity with our creator. Amen. We could receive your salvation, Lord. And we could just come to know you fully. So Lord, I, I ask that as we, as we take this cup, Lord, you would continue to build up righteousness, God, and, and, and perfect holiness, God, inside of each and every one of us so that we can come to know you better and come to know you closer. Lord, I just ask that everyone in here would just desire a closer relationship with you. And as we leave today, Lord, we would get to experience your presence that goes with us. And God, we would become closer and closer to you each day, Lord. So you desire our whole heart, 100% of it, not 99%. So if there's even that 1% that's left right now inside of our hearts, God, I ask that you come in and replace anything that's taking up that last 1%. And just replace it with yourself. God, just purify our hearts, God, so that we can just be set on things that are real and true and pure and eternal. Lord, I just, yeah, I ask that as we take this cup, God, we would just not take lightly what you've done for us and who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a blessed day, church.